Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. Jehovah 
my Prince of Peace. And I worship you because of who you are. Jehovah, yes, you're my provider. Jehovah. hearts and minds this morning. Amen. Good morning. Indeed, the peace of God, that is what he brings for us, that shalom that not only the absence, as we saw last week, of conflict and the absence of being at war, most importantly with God, but we also saw that it speaks of this fullness, this completeness, and this wholeness. Um, if you started your groups this week, you had a chance to discuss this, this whole thing of shalom the world as it was intended, and this peace that God brings, and it is a peace that is first in you, and then it becomes a peace that characterizes you, and is a peace that is around you. And so as Christians, we are people that bring peace. We are people that are at peace, and that we are people, really, that even proclaim and preach peace. And so, if only if our definition of peace is only that which is the absence of conflict, we miss a huge part, and the part that we're going to see this morning as we look at Mark, the scripture that was one of the scriptures that was given in the curriculum that would be covered as another way to talk about the shalom or the peace of God. And so this morning, <clears throat> I'm going to preach from Mark chapter 5, as I said last week, two stories, and there's a story in a story. And I know as this is written and it is proclaimed in a greater context of Mark that what we have here is Jesus demonstrating 
his authority, his lordship over both disease and death. And that disease and death, of course, is both physical and spiritual. You could say are both spiritual and physical death. And he demonstrates that in chapter five. And he starts off, of course, as we know, with his with his healing the demoniac. And so then they in fear of his authority, instead of embracing it, the people ask him to leave. And he goes across back to the other side of the lake. And here is where this picks up. And he is going to he is going to demonstrate his authority and his lordship as he is on his way to the cross. But while doing that in this particular text, because of how he ends it for one of the people that he interacts with, Jesus is also going to demonstrate and he is going to bring, he's going to introduce into this person's life and into those around him this issue of peace. Jesus is going to bring and he is going to give peace. Because ultimately, that's what you and I are looking for. In all that we do, in all that we try and gain, in all of who we are, we are first and foremost seeking peace for our troubled hearts and lives. We are seeking that there is this absence of conflict even within us and all that's going on. When we hear people talk today and all the memes that are out there about 2020 ending, most people say, I just want peace. And what they initially mean is, and what they mainly mean is, I want the absence of conflict. I want all this to stop. But I think unknowingly people are also wanting that other side of peace, and that is wholeness, wellness, and completeness. The only problem is most people are trying to find it in the wrong place and with the wrong person. And so today, when we look at, I'm going to have for the time of this text, Jesus brings and gives peace. We are going to see how as this merciful savior as we are on this topic of the of 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 gospel-shaped mercy, Christ is going to demonstrate and show shalom peace and how it should characterize those who claim to be followers of his as well. And I want us to ask ourselves some questions as we look into the mirror of who we are today. Does the character of Christ show and shine through my life as I interact with my world? Once again, remember, we are talking about being shaped by that which or by by he whom has brought us into being spiritually. And if we have been brought into being by the gospel, then our lives should be shaped by and characterize it. When people talk about us, what should be spoken of of us are those things which are spoken of about Christ. Now, we know it is not going to be in our life in flawless perfection because we are growing and we are gaining and we are increasing. Even as we fail, 
during our days, but they should be characteristics nonetheless. And we know that that is because of the power of God that is at work in us. And so let us not just hear a good sermon today. Let us not just hear something that we think, whoa, that was that was deep. That was good. But something that would cause us to ask some serious questions about our own lives, about the direction of our lives, and about what characterizes us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you that you have given us another day, another week, Lord, in which we have seen your hand of faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for how you have demonstrated your goodness, Lord, throughout our days in those times when we saw you clearly, in those times where we wondered where you were, Father, you were still faithful. You were still there. I thank you, God, that we have been able to continue to read and to study, Lord, about this mercy, Lord, that characterized you and characterizes you and that should, must, and need to characterize us. I pray this morning that as we look into your word, that as we jump into the text, Lord, that it would not just be academic. Father, that it would not be ritualistic as we sit here on a Sunday. It would not be cultural, but Lord, it would be transforming. Lord, that it would cause us to ask some serious questions of ourselves and to allow you to change us. If there are any here this morning that don't know you in a personal relationship, may that change today. Or may you water the seed of the work that you're doing in their lives that would bring them to a point of submitting to you. So we pray for your wisdom. We pray for your strength. If there are any that have come in here discouraged this morning, may they look to you, look in your face. And Lord, may they leave experiencing your peace as they embrace who you are. We ask you this and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 5. And starting at verse 21, I'm going to read through and then we're just going to talk through this, making the points as we go along. And it starts off as this. And when Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. I'm going to stop there for a moment because this is Jesus' response to the needs around him. We're going to see in this account two almost opposite ends of the spectrum. We had a man of influence, the ruler of the synagogue back in that time, historically speaking, was was kind of the, the, the operational leader of that particular synagogue. In other words, all of the 
worship and the praise, all of the, <clears throat> all of the things that went on, you know, historically speaking, was actually governed by this individual. He was typically not a professional, not a scribe, not a Pharisee. He was a lay person that typically was given charge for the synagogue and all of the life that went on around that. And historical records talk about different people that have stepped in this and that have um, um, lived in this role. And so here he was a man that was well known in the Jewish community. Whomever went to that, and it would have been everyone in the community, that synagogue knew him. So Jairus was a well-known man. He was probably a well-respected man. And because of his position, a man of influence. And then we're going to see someone on the other end of the spectrum later in this account. And here was one who was ostracized, marginalized, and set aside from that very community because of the disease that she had. And so you had a man that was well accepted. I want you to hear that. So you had a man in a male-dominated society back then. You had a male that was well-respected and, and, and actually well-embraced. And you had a woman back in those times did not have the rights of men. And so here she was. Not only was she a woman, but she was marginalized and she could not fellowship with the community. And we're going to hear more about her. And so they couldn't have been any more further apart. And yet they both interacted with Jesus. Jesus was going to interact with both of them and demonstrate something for you and I that we must understand and capture, not just about his character, because that's exactly not just about his deity, not just about his power, but about the way that he dealt with, the way that he ministered to, the way that he handled people. And I like the fact that this story within the story is two opposite ends, just in case somebody says, well, that's the way he deals with the poor. Jesus is only the God for the poor. He's only the God for the needy. It's a, he's this crutch for those who don't have anything. Ah, but he turns around and says, no, I also deal with those who have everything that you think someone can have in this society. And so he is the God of both. Jesus comes to both. We have to be careful, especially as Christians in our day, when we only focus on one segment of society. There are some that say we need to fight just for the marginalized and the oppressed and the poor. They are included. They are, they are critical and they are, they are high in the eyes of the Lord, but not at the expense of those who are well off. See, sometimes we only think let's, Forget about those that are what they call up and out. We like to focus on the down and out. No resources, rent due. We know it. You know, we sing it in our songs. How's it going to pay your bills? You, you got more weak than you got check. And we camp there. But I'm going to tell you, he's also the God of the one who's got the million dollar investment account. 
He's also the God of the one who is well connected, the one who has the high job, the one who has the position that is coveted by others. He's also the Jesus and the savior of that person who needs him as well, even if they don't know it at the moment. And so Jesus shows up and the first person he meets is this man who acts totally out of his influence, his status, and his position. First of all, there was this contentious relationship with many of the Jewish leaders about Jesus because they thought that he was claiming to be something that he wasn't, but then they also realized that he was messing up their gig, that people were following him above following them. And so they were listening to him more than they were listening to them. But in this case, Jairus didn't care. I can kind of feel with him because I'm just trying to wonder that if my daughter was at the age that she was at and she was near death, I would do nearly anything. And he had heard about Jesus. And when he heard that he landed back on their soil, he wasted no time. Dignity was not going to be on his mind. It said he ran and he fell at his feet. I can imagine some of the people around him going, that's undignified. Really? Did you need to fall at his feet? Dude, you a manager of the synagogue. What's wrong with you? And he states it clearly. He says, look, my daughter is near the point of death. I have no hope. I have no options. But I heard that you could do something. And so he comes and he says, could you come? Here's what he says. Could you come? His understanding of Christ was if he touches you, if you receive a touch of Christ, you'll be made well. Now, we know that there are others that believed all you need to do is say the word and she'll be made well. Notice Jesus didn't correct him. Oh, so you think I need to touch her? Why don't you just trust the fact that I can say it? You don't believe? No, you know, Jesus meets you and I where we are and takes us to where we need to be. So for his understanding, if Jesus touches it is all right, Jesus says, cool, I'll come and touch it. See, don't think that you have to jump over the hoops that everyone else is telling you to, to have Jesus work in your life. You just need to understand that if I embrace who Christ is and I come believing what he says, that he'll respond and then understand this. Sometimes the person that you're dealing with doesn't need to know everything about Jesus before you do something for them. Why don't you meet them where they are and take them where they need to be? There's some folk right now that, yeah, their theology is messed up, but it's not for you to come in and straighten it out and correct it at that moment. Ah, here's a point. Why don't you try to form a relationship with them and then they understand who you are and then you can take them where they need to go. 
We so busy telling people all the wrong that they do and how wrong that they are, that we can never lead them anywhere because they're not listening to us. I know you don't agree with that, but get in there and get their attention and take them where they need to go. See, the problem is we're too busy screaming and shouting that no one is listening to us. We're so busy telling them how holy we are and how sinful they are that they can never see themselves being like us. But honestly, can I tell you something? They don't want to be like us. And so what Jesus is showing us is he let the man talk. And Jesus, by the way, knew what was going to happen to his daughter. So so Jesus hears it and he follows And so here's what I want us to understand. Jesus meets people where they are, regardless of his status. You know what? I wonder if he was one who rejected Jesus in the past. We don't know that. I can't I can't lay that out in the text. But because he was a because he was a leader in the synagogue and I know that they had a contentious relationship with Jesus. I had to wonder where was he before on this thing of Jesus? But I do understand that God puts us all in situations that'll change us in a moment. I'm independent until I got something that I can't handle. Then all of a sudden I'm very dependent. I don't need anyone until I need someone. And so Jesus doesn't even chide him. I don't know where he was, but all I know is that Jesus just he says nothing. He follows the guy. And on his way to following, on his way to meet this need, on his way to be merciful to and really to bring peace in this man's home. This man wanted peace, not the absence of conflict. He wanted wholeness and wellness for his daughter. And on his way, he was about to encounter someone else that was going to show how he brings peace into the situation. And so verse 25 picks up, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Understand and notice this, that Mark names the person in, in, in the first case. Mark gives his name, Jairus, the ruler, the one who is known. But Understand, he does not give the name of this woman. He just says, a woman. Could have been any woman, but in this particular case, I want you to see her case. Here Jesus is going on to help the man of influence who fell at his feet humbly, knowing that Jesus can do something for him or believing that he could. And Jesus starts to come. And then there is this woman, and I wonder how impatient this guy got once Jesus stops with her, but 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 he comes up and look at what ends up happening as they <clears throat> as they walk in. This woman is in the crowd that no one know which already she put herself at risk because understand that discharge of blood. The issue that she had was one that kept her out of and away from the community. In other words, during that particular time, a woman was considered unclean and she had to distance herself for that time. And if it went on continually, you were perpetually unclean, which meant you could not come to the temple. You could not come to the synagogue, 
which meant you had no community relationship. You had no people to talk with. You had no people to commune with. Anyone that interacted with you, especially leadership, especially those of the synagogue, would be rendered unclean if they tell, if they dealt with you. And so here was a woman that had been isolated. The scripture actually gives us five different things to help us to understand about this woman. It says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. Said five three. Suffered much under many physicians. Can't stop and have y'all think about that for a moment. When I think about doctors, and again, no shade on the medical profession at all. I don't think about suffering under doctors. I come to doctors to be helped. That word suffered it is. She was she was brought to pain. She suffered. It was a painful ordeal as she dealt with her doctors. They could not help her. Where she went for help could not help. As a matter of fact, not only did they not help, they made it worse. And there are times in our society where the people, where the things that are meant to help make it worse. But look at what happened. She was Hopeless. She was she was out of options in her mind. Why? Because that 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 descriptor in between tells us what happened. It says she had spent everything she had. So now I want you to get the picture. Jesus was on his way to help the well connected. Well, of course he was. That's what the reader of that would say. Well, of course he was. Jesus helps the well connected because everyone helps the well connected but he is interrupted by the one who had no one to help her. The money that she had and that she was using in the right place did nothing for her until she met Jesus. And I want us to hear this. Everyone else had rejected her and she had nothing else left. You talk about a hopeless person. And see, desperate people at times can do crazy things when they don't encounter Christ. And so I'm so glad that this woman actually gets to come around, gets to encounter Jesus. And so she comes up and says she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment and and of course, we know those 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 tassels from his garment that probably hung. She just said, if I just touch it, that's where that's where hers was. See, <coughs> she understood something just a little bit different. Jairus understood if he touches my daughter, she's fine. This woman understood if I touch him. I'm fine. And both were fine. Because the issue was whatever it is that connects you with Jesus is fine. We're talking about Jesus brings and gives peace. And so he comes up and he says, 
I mean, and I'm sorry. And, and she says, if I'd only touch him for she said, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She knew something different had happened. And I can only imagine here she was in desperation. She is going through the crowd. If she touched the 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 the, the bottom of his garment, if she touches his garment probably mean that she's trying to work her way through the crowd. She probably doesn't want anyone to notice her because if they do, she's in trouble because she's unclean. And so she puts herself at great risk. Why do I know that she knew that she was at great risk? Because when she was healed, I know she was probably excited as ever and wanted to get out of the crowd, and Jesus wasn't having any of it. He stops and says, who touched me? Now, I love this because the disciples' response are just like ours would be. Because remember, further up, it said that the crowd thronged around him. They were thronged me. They were all pressing up and touching and being up against him and Everyone was walking together almost shoulder to shoulder. And and so he said, who touched me? And they looked at him like, seriously, who touched you? Who didn't? As he thought, they said, all these people around and you ask who touched you? And he said, no, 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 no. The touch that you think I'm talking about is the casual bumping because we're all in proximity with one another. I'm not talking about that. Someone has reached out and believed that I could do something different. Now, you have to understand when Mark uses the term the crowd was following, Mark usually uses that phrase throughout his gospel. The crowd, there's a great crowd, a great crowd. It is usually the unbelieving crowd walking along to see what's going to happen and what Jesus is going to do. These are not disciples following out of faith and, and following out of embracing Christ. These are people who just want to see what's going on. They want to see what Jesus is going to do next. And so all those people were touching him, but only one touched him with that faith. And as she did... As she touched him, believing that he could change her, that he could do something, he did something. And look at what happens. He turns, says, who touched me? And actually, as I was reading up on this, Jesus says, knew that it was a woman. <laughs> Elder Charles, it was saying that the Greek participles that were being used were feminine and that he turned and said, he knew that it was a woman who touched him. How in a crowd like that? Because Jesus knows who touches him, who reaches out for him. And so he turns, he turns to see what woman touched me. That would have scared the life out of me. You don't even see me in a crowd and you know by the touch that a woman touched me. And so he turns and look what he says. <clears throat> he turns and and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned and in the crowd has said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you. And yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. 
But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Interesting here that as she came, she was afraid. She didn't know what would happen if she was because she was not supposed to touch him. He was a rabbi. He could have said, you have made me unclean by touching me. He could have chided her. The crowd knew that she had touched. And once he once Jesus made her public, now everyone knew her. Understand, for 12 years, she dealt with this. This was no newcomer to the city. They knew this woman. And Jesus exposed her and some believe exposed criticism on himself because he would say, I mean, they would say she touched you. But what I want us to understand is in chapter five, in three instances, Jesus is showing that when he touches or or they touch him, when 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 uncleanness comes into contact with him, it cannot make him unclean. You see it in three. The demoniac was rendered unclean. The woman with the issue, with her blood issues, was unclean. And then he was about to deal with Jairus's dead daughter because she died. Third instance. And what he is telling us and them is, look, you may be unclean and you can come and touch me or I touch you. And I am not rendered unclean. Mark doesn't even deal with this as an issue because he knows and his readers will know when Jesus touches unclean things. He makes them clean and he remains clean. And so Jesus bringing peace here, he comes and he exposes. Why? Because Jesus was just not interested in doing a miracle. And let me help out our friends that think that all this Christian life is about is one miracle after the other. Is this that Jesus is going to do me a miracle today and then I'm going to wait for another one tomorrow. And all Jesus is, is a miracle maker. Jesus wasn't just interested in a miracle. He was interested in a meeting. He wanted to meet this woman personally because he had something to tell her. And although the miracle was critical, and he met her where she was. He needed to make sure she understood all of what happened to her. And look at this. But it was because he got next to he 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 in essence, in the eyes of other people, put himself at risk. No, he wasn't at risk because he wasn't going to be unclean. But but when he met her, he put himself out there. And she comes in fear and trembling and she's probably afraid of what is he going to do? What is he going to say? And I bet she's saying to me, I'd be saying, I don't care because I'm healed. They can do whatever they want. I'm healed. And she tells the truth. And he said to her daughter, woman, and usually a term of endearment which probably calms her nerves. Your faith has made you well, or some texts would say has actually saved you. It has brought salvation. And then listen what he says. Go in 
peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus had to speak to her because he was going to proclaim peace. Now, the word peace here is irony. And you say, well, that's not shalom. Well, it is very equivalent to the Hebrew shalom because irony spoke of wholeness and wellness. He wasn't saying you're no longer at conflict with me. No, what he said to her is go in wholeness and wellness. Why? Because when you interact with Jesus, when you meet Jesus, what he wants you to go in is being whole and complete, needing nothing else ever again. No one else. She didn't need any more doctors. Now, I'm not saying that you meet Jesus and you stop going to the doctor. Please don't do that. Please keep going to your doctor. What he is saying for her is your hopeless life has now been filled with hope. Your, your, your situation that could not be fixed is now dealt with. And so just in case everyone says, see, see, she got her healing. That's all I need in life is to get my healing. Can I give you just a newsflash? The woman with the issue of blood died. He said, what? What? You think she's still living today? The woman with the issue of blood died. Jairus' daughter that he's going to raise from the dead died. Why? Because every human that walks this planet will eventually die. What Jesus was giving her was this peace that once would just reign in this life and carries over into the next. The most important thing in your life is not that you be physically healed. I know somebody that's messing with right now. I'm not saying that it's not important. I'm not saying that you don't seek it. I'm not saying that you don't pray to God for it. Not at all. Beseech him for it. What I'm saying is the most critical thing that you and I need in life is peace proclaimed from God and peace with God. And so regardless of what's happening in our world, what we want to bring to people is peace. We want to be able to say to them in the name of Jesus, because I'm not Christ, I can't administer it like he, but in the name of Christ, go in peace because you have met Jesus. Be whole and well, spiritually, yes, because you're saved, physically because your life is wrapped in him, and whether he touches from this disease or you go on into eternity later, you are at peace with God. Jesus brings peace. And so he brought it in this scenario. He comes to her and he says, go in peace and be healed of your disease. But wait a minute, she was healed. No, what he was telling her, you are healed. Whatever it was that you came to me for, I have dealt with. You are healed. He proclaimed to her what she had known and experienced. In other words, her experience met his word. That's what happened. What she experienced was in line with his word. Let me just give a footnote for those that like to tell your experience, and it is so far from the word of God. You may have experienced something, but Jesus doesn't have a word for it. It ain't in his word. Well, I experienced one. This is my experience, and you can't argue my experience. I'm not trying to argue your experience. 
But if your experience doesn't match the word that Jesus is going to bring, it's just an experience. I don't know why you experienced it. I don't know how you experienced it. That's not important. But in this case, his word matched her experience. When you and I come to bring peace into a situation, you better come with the word of God, with the character of God, uh, according to the will of God and the power of God. And then we go on to Jairus's daughter. Now, can I just say just real quick, because I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with him because she's the one that I wanted to. Jairus, I'm just wondering what he is doing. He is like, really? Like, oh, my gosh, she's dying. I need you to touch her. And you are dealing with this woman. Who is this woman? Haven't seen her in 12 years. I'm okay. I'm being serious. If it's me, I'm really impatient. I'm not trying to rush Jesus because I want to touch my daughter. But I'm standing there like breathing hard and like, yo, dude, like, when is he going? Look, just finish. Okay, peace, peace, peace. Give her peace. Let's go. Got all these words for her. Yo, I need you. That's just how I would. And Jesus turns to him because he knows because people come and say, stop bothering him. Dude, she's she died. She's dead. Ain't nothing he can do. And Jesus, the scripture really, the way the word says he ignores them and turns to him. And I love this, that Jesus ignores man's hopelessness and understand he already dealt with the hopelessness of man being able to act. First of all, he did it with the demoniac. No one could control that demon possessed man. Jesus came in, control them, cast out the demons. No one could heal this woman. Jesus came in, heals the woman. Man couldn't do anything with it. And in this case, the daughter died. No one, no man could help. Do you get the pattern? He said, there are times, look, look, we are helpless and hopeless to help other people most of the time. And when we come into a situation, especially in our world and our culture today, if we think I'm coming in as man with all my influence and all my whatever I have, and I'm just going to make a difference by myself, you may be like the people with the demon possessed man. You may be like the educated doctors that couldn't do anything for her. You may be like all the people that were standing around wishing they could do something for this man's daughter and couldn't. Where man is helpless, Jesus stands strong. And so when we come, we bring Jesus. We don't bring man. We bring Jesus. And we get where people are. And we lead them to where God wants them to be. And he turns to the man and says, do not be afraid, only believe. I, I, I would be like, I don't know what that means. She's dead. I, I have no idea what that means, but I'm following him. I can't imagine just the despair that this man had in his mind and in his heart as he's walking home going, she's died. What is he going to do? But he told me, don't be afraid, believe. I'm like, okay, I can imagine that he's torn and, and he gets there and everyone is screaming and wailing all and all. All, all the professional whalers have showed up and ready one is hollering and screaming. And I was just like chaotic, depressing. It's over. And Jesus comes in and says, why are you guys crying and wailing? She's only sleeping. And they, they laughed at him. And Jesus put them all out. 
accept the disciples that he wanted to see and understand his power that's about to be demonstrated. And he gets in the room and he says to her, Talitha kum, which means he says to her, huh, little girl or daughter, I say to you, arise. I love this. Couldn't do anything with the demons, Jesus could. Couldn't do anything with the sickness, Jesus could. Couldn't do anything with death, Jesus could. And he brings her up. Everyone is shocked and amazed. But what he had done again, he brought wellness and wholeness and peace. There are some similarities here in that number 12. I can't go into it much, but it's interesting that the woman had been sick for 12 years. That is that complete hopelessness. 12 in scripture is that number many times that speaks of both completeness, also speaks of authority. But she was completely hopeless. And do you realize how old the daughter was? It said when he asked her to rise and she got up and walked around, it says because she was 12 years old. And again, this this man, one woman had lived her life and was completely hopeless. One man was completely hopeless because his daughter was about to enter womanhood. That 13 age is when she would have and all the hopes and dreams that he had for her. And again, complete hopelessness. And Jesus meets them both. And he does something different. And what he shows his disciples, what he shows Jairus, and what he showed the crowd, I bring peace, I give peace, because Scripture says he is the Prince of Peace. See, this morning, let me ask you, what are you bringing when you come? Are you like the three different instances here? The one we didn't read, the demoniac, where you couldn't help him and the man was out of control, hurting himself and others. No one wanted to come around. The woman that the, the doctors tried to help, took her money, actually hurt her and made her worse. Are you like the people laughing at the help that, that Jesus is bringing because it seems like it doesn't make sense? Do you find yourself in one of those camps? What can Jesus do? This is hopeless. He can't change anything. It's too late for all that. Or are you allowing him to use you to change, to bring peace, to bring wholeness and completeness? It first has to be in you, and then it will be in others as he uses you. So today, this whole deal of shalom, peace, Wellness and wholeness. <clears throat> Jesus wants to bring it. Will he always heal in the way that I want him to physically? Maybe not. But will he always bring peace in your life? Will he always bring wholeness and completeness to you? Yes, he will. But let me ask you, does this peace characterize you? Are you at peace with God and you are and are you experiencing the peace of God? Are you? And let me ask you, are you bringing and proclaiming the peace of God because you've experienced it yourself? Or when you show up, does conflict arrive? When you show up, destruction, 
disillusionment, anger, do they all come? If you name the name of Christ, I'm going to tell you right now, if peace doesn't characterize your life, you need to ask and find out why. Why are you not at peace with God and why are you not experiencing wholeness and completeness in God? I'm not talking about you being healed of every disease that you have and you no longer have a heartache, backache, any kind of ache. No, no, we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is, is there wholeness and completeness and satisfaction in your life because of your relationship with Christ? If it is not, that can change. Then if you say yes to that, who is experiencing peace because you are around? It's a question for all of us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you again, Lord, that it is this peace that you bring, this shalom, irony, completeness, wholeness, brought together, oneness. You told the woman with the blood issue, who was hopeless to go in wholeness. And Father, that's what you say to all of us today. Go in wholeness. But you also say to us that when we go to others in your name, that we bring wholeness and proclaim wholeness and we show the world what it means to be whole in you. I pray that we do that. I pray that we find a way to allow you to work in and through us so that others may see the peace that you bring. In Christ's name, amen. This morning, before we leave, I do want to give that opportunity. If you are here this morning and you are not at peace, and it is because you do not have a relationship with Christ. Can you speak with one of us before you leave? Who would love to be able to pray with you, would love to be able to lead you into a relationship with Christ. But if this morning you are, I'm going to challenge you this week. How can God use you to bring peace into a situation or into an area of life in which you interact with? And you don't even have to be in person, so we're not going to use COVID as an excuse. Well, I can't be around no one. You can bring peace by Zoom. I know we're all about tired of Zoom by now. That's okay. But however God has you interact, are you going to bring peace or are you going to stoke the fire and the flames of discord? and a lack of wholeness and wellness. That is our challenge for us this week. Oh, we can still speak truth and bring wholeness and wellness at the same time. Um, next week, we will be uh, having communion. It'll be a little different than um, what it has been in the past, um, but we will be um, having communion. You will pick up your um, elements on the way in, and we will have it so you can come prepared for that next week as we get into this issue of justice, biblical justice, wrongs made right. 
And we're going to look and see that in your study this week, you'll be, um, if you're meaning this week, you'll be studying that, this whole issue of justice, wrongs made right. And I want to tell you, don't, 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 don't think that God is going to jump on board with anyone's view of what justice is. God doesn't take sides. He is a side. You either join with him or not. And so what I want us to be able, as we read through and as we read along, um, I know that for, um, because we got some extras, we do have some extra um, handbooks. Um, if I, I know, because in the handbooks they have Bible studies and devotions as well as the small group time. So if there are some of you that do um, want that, you can call the office um, tomorrow and see the extras that we have. I know that we have a few because that was the way that we were able to get a good discount on that. You can, um, you can call the office and can pick up one if you want because we do have some uh, extras left. I'm excited for this study because I think it's going to take us into the heart of what it means to be people of mercy, to be people of justice according to Scripture because we need that today in our world as everyone wants to define what that is. And when they define it outside of Christ, they're usually going to get it wrong. And we who follow Christ can get it right, not so that we can stand up and proclaim, I'm right, but that we can stand up and proclaim, here is the way to go. Let's follow it. Father, today as we go, I pray that we would be mindful of what we've heard, that we would be diligent to put it into practice, and that we would allow you to bless and strengthen us. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to turn you over to our ushers in a moment. As we said last week, that um, um, for us, there are, there are baskets that are available um, in the beginning and the box um, outside in the wall also that is made available for you to be able to put your offering. Um, if you still have it afterwards, I'll let the ushers guide on how that's going to happen. Um, but you're going to follow the usher's direction on our lead out. And our fellowship, as we said last week, will be outside as the weather is still nice. Some of you will be going out this door. Some of you will be going out the door that you came in. And so go with God this week. Be blessed. Be merciful. Be peaceful. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until... You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week. Till next time.